Luke chapter 2, verse 1. At that time, Augustus Caesar. Now, Caesar was the Roman emperor. He was arguably the most powerful man on the earth at that time. He was as close to what we would know as a modern-day dictator, but yet his influence was virtually unlimited in his world. Caesar sent an order that all people in the country under Roman rule must list their names in a register, and all went to their towns to be registered. Now, this was the first census. It was a census where you were literally going to what was your hometown, the, the place of your birth, your lineage, something about perhaps you own land there, but it was some historical reference where you look back and you literally had to go there and sign your name on a piece of paper. So it didn't matter where you lived in the Roman Empire, you had to migrate towards home, you had to make sure that your name was there, and it was for the purpose of taxation. But I want you, as we begin this morning, I want you to see that there's a sovereign sense of God's hand that's guiding this situation. On the surface, if you read it as a historian or just a secular person today, you would think that this is just a story about the powerful governing those that uh, have less power or the, uh, the rich influencing the poor or the mighty influencing the weak. But what it is, is it's God using this Roman emperor as a chess piece to move Mary to the place that was prophesied 700 years earlier. Now think about that. Micah chapter 5 verse 2, a prophecy listing, predicting where Christ would be born, and God causes the most powerful man on the planet to move Mary and Joseph through what seemed like a political move. It was actually something to foster the kingdom of God. And I want you to know that same God is alive and well working in your life today. That does not mean your life is wound up like a clock and you have no choice. It doesn't mean that, that you're like a, you know, like a, a little puppet on a string and everything you do is ordered. But somehow in the midst of free will and people's choices and the dynamics in the world and the world of evil and darkness, God is orchestrating this world. But more importantly, He's orchestrating our lives toward a predetermined end. And uh, how many know that's a real good thing? But as we keep reading, we see in verse 4, Joseph left where he was in Nazareth, the town in Galilee, and he went to the town of Bethlehem in Judea, known as the town of David. He registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged and who was now pregnant. Verse 6, while they were in Bethlehem, the time came for Mary to have the baby. And she gave birth to her first son. And this next phrase is what we'll focus on this morning, because there was no rooms left in the inn. And she wrapped the baby with pieces of cloth and laid him in a feeding trough. Now, it's a manger. We have almost made the manger somewhat romantic, kind of like the living room. Uh, it, it, I, if you were having a child today, uh, and you would celebrate just like we did. I remember when our first child was born, we lived in California. Very glad to be here now, by the way. But we lived in California, and, you know, Linnell was pregnant, and so we had this little room in our house there in Willow Glen, and, and we put the clown wallpaper up, and I learned how to hang wallpaper, and we were so excited, and we bought the crib and, and bought all the little, you know, all the things that go along with it. And, uh, and that's, that's when we welcomed our child from the hospital. That's what he came to. But the baby Jesus was literally born in an animal stable, and his first night's sleep, his little bed, was on some hay or some straw in a feed trough. Now, there's got to be a message in that. It's got to be a message that God literally values humility. He tends to ignore the pride. He'll put the prideful people down. How many know the religious people of the day weren't invited? The rich of the day were not invited. The powerful of the day were not invited. But God's own Son came to this world in very humble circumstances as He came to visit planet Earth. Now listen, if you know anything about animals, and I was raised on a farm, uh, we fed the cows. I would feed the cows uh, in the barn. Uh, there's not only the smell of hay there, there's very distinctly the smell of manure. 
And uh, in that little trough, you know, it's at such a level for the cow to eat, she can also do other things in the trough. So it's a pretty dirty place where baby Jesus was laid. And I want that to kind of grip us just a moment because sometimes we almost idealize or make, make life almost too sterile of the way that it really was. It was not a, a cute little manger like we see over here, but it was a barn that Christ came into. But I want you to understand and, and think with me this morning. Up to this point, Joseph and Mary had experienced God in, in what can be described best as a supernatural way. This child was, was conceived supernaturally. Uh, Joseph and Mary didn't have intercourse. God somehow implanted the, the seed of Christ into her womb. It was called the Immaculate Conception. That's a big deal when you're a teenage virgin. Uh, Joseph, her, her husband-to-be, was engaged to her. He thought he would you know, put her away because obviously that was a hard story to believe. He had dreams from God. So there's a supernatural sense all around the story of the birth of Christ. But I'm going to suggest to you that there was a moment or two that likely Mary and Joseph had kind of a dark experience. They were not quite sure what was going on. This morning, I'm going to ask you to imagine with me just a little bit. I'm going to speculate a little bit about what could have been going on in the minds of Mary and Joseph before they came to Bethlehem. Now, when we look at this scene of where Christ was born, there's a star in the sky, there's glory, the shepherd his boy has come, and he's been in the field, and he saw this angel, and these wise men came later after his birth, and they saw the star that was in the sky, and it's all this sense of light and glory. But, but I want you to think what it was like when they came into the town of Bethlehem, and she's nine months pregnant, and it doesn't seem quite this, this uh, godlike. There's not that much glory. At this particular time, as I said, the wise men were not there. Uh, they showed up later. They brought gifts when they found him, but at this point in time, there's just some animals in this open area where they're staying. Um, it's just Mary. It's just Joseph. Now, the journey that they had taken was quite a long journey. This shepherd boy, he came at a later period of time after Christ was born. But when it all started happening at first, not even the baby Jesus was there. And this journey they took... They tell us it's about perhaps 85 to maybe even 90 miles to get from Nazareth to Bethlehem. How I many know that's a long way with a pregnant lady? That's like from Texarkana to Sulphur Springs. Now, that's an hour and a half by car. Uh, I'm ready to take a break and get out when I get there. But, you know, that's, uh, that was, Joseph was probably walking. Mary was riding a donkey. Now, ladies, think with me. How would you like to be riding a donkey for 90 miles when you're nine months pregnant? Could we maybe say that it was kind of a dark night? <laughs> it was a period of time. I don't know how many days it took them to get there, but uh, she was perhaps having contractions. Uh, likely her feet were swelling. Uh, she was certainly ready to get off that donkey and find a room to be in. Uh, it was a difficult moment, and, and it, at first glance it seems like, well, where is God? I mean, we show up and there's not even a room, which is hard for me to grasp, now, there's not even a room set aside for them. Joseph didn't have family, apparently, or friends. There's only one place to stay, and it's full. But I want you to, if we can, just step into their minds just a moment and imagine how they must have felt when they walked up there and Mary is asking Joseph, Honey, where are we going to stay? I am tired. I'm hurting. Uh, the baby's coming soon. I'm beginning to have contractions. Uh, perhaps her water had broken. I mean, the time for this child is near, but they don't know what they're going to do. Could I suggest to you it was a dark moment in their life? 
And I'm going to use this dark moment to talk about God's light coming into darkness. This morning, I want to see their lives as perhaps a metaphor for us because all of us will at times of life and perhaps even now facing a season of darkness. You may have lost a loved one this year or, or, or recently around Christmas, and it's not a lot of great memories. Uh, how many know it's a dark moment if you have a pink slip from work or you're standing in an unemployment line? How many know it can be a dark moment if you go in the doctor's office for an annual physical and he finds something that uh, was not there before and uh, he's quite concerned he's going to send you to the oncologist? How many know that's a dark moment of life? How many know it's a dark moment if your spouse comes home and says, I don't want to live with you anymore? Well, life has dark moments in it, but here's the message I want to communicate to you this morning, that there is a light that can drive away the darkness. There is a light from God's presence in your life. There is a sense of God's goodness that can overshadow our life that can, may not dispel the darkness totally, but give you enough light to get through it. That you can find God's presence with you. Sometimes it's tangible. Sometimes you see it. Sometimes you can feel it. Other times you take it by faith, but it is just as real. This light of God is a reality in our life that sooner or later, listen, the star is going to shine. The glory is going to come. The angels are going to appear, and Christ will be born because He is the light on a dark night. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. So let's... Let's, talk, let's look at Mary and Joseph this, this morning as, as, as a picture of people that find light in a dark moment of life. Uh, again, as I said this morning, we're kind of speculating a bit what might have been going through their minds when they approached the innkeeper, when they couldn't find a place to stay. But I think it's fair. If they, they might have been super spiritual people, but I can guarantee you if it were Linnell and I or if it were you in a similar circumstance, you'd probably be feeling just what I'm going to describe this morning. So let's talk about hope on a dark night. You might make take a peek in Matthew chapter 28, but first let me say this to you. Mary and Joseph experienced the light of God's presence in a dark moment of their life. Now, the word light is what I want to focus on just a minute. We take it for granted. You hit a switch and light comes on and darkness leaves. It's something from an incandescent or a fluorescent bulb. Maybe you stepped outside this morning and the darkness had left and the sun was shining and this thing that we call light that moves, you know, uh, particles can move at the speed of light. We even, you know, we have formulas that are around it. But light is an incredible thing. Light always dispels darkness. If this room was totally dark inside and I were to just light a small candle, in some measure, that light would drive away darkness. It would give you an ability to see. If it was so dark in this room that we were groping about and couldn't find our way out or even a door or anything, if the power had gone out and, and it was dark outside, all you had to do was turn on a flashlight and it provides a new context for the room. See, if you can imagine if you go in a hotel room or in your home, Maybe you go in, in, in your house and it's nighttime, uh, the, the motion detector light's not working outside, you step in and it's kind of an eerie feeling. Nobody's there, you wonder why the light's not on, of course the bulb might have burned out, but it's just you. And what's the, what are you trying to find? You're trying to find a light switch so you can see what's going on and so you can have a sense of peace so that kind of spooky feeling can leave and you can know everything's going to be alright. Well let me tell you, God is just that light for you. In whatever dark situation you may face in life, the light of God can be your portion. Now, when we talk about this word light in the Bible, light is, is a symbol of God's presence. And this presence of God, this light of God, gives us hope, direction, and comfort. 
wherever you are in life, if you're about to be wheeled in a surgery suite or if you're saying goodbye to your family, about to go in the military, there's some measure of darkness in your world. The presence of God comes as light to you. It can bring you hope. It can bring you a sense of direction that God will care for you and guide you and comfort you in the most difficult trials we may face. If you have had the unfortunate experience of going to a funeral service this year and you left the graveside and a loved one was laying near and you the last touch that you had on that casket wanting to be with them, yet the light of God's presence would allow you to say, I will see you later, Mom. Bye-bye. Now, that's a whole lot different way that people can leave a cemetery, than, and you've perhaps been there. They're holding on to the casket. They don't want to let go. Oh, it's, I mean, it is such grief. It is such sadness. Now, listen, we still grieve as Christian people, but when you have some light, even the darkness of death has to bow its knee. So Christ is that light. And I want to speak to you about it this morning. Uh, the Bible says that, that God, well, light is, is not only a symbol of God's presence, uh, light is closely linked with God. It is a way of communicating spiritual truth. Light always symbolizes good in the Bible. Darkness is depicted as a place of evil, a void, yet when God's light comes in, it's good. Uh, Isaiah sixty nineteen says, The Lord will be your everlasting yeah, the Lord Himself is a light to us in the darkness of light. But listen to Micah. It's a great scripture. It, 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 his confidence is expressed in terms of this light. He says, Rejoice not over me, my enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. Now, how can you say that if, if whatever you may be facing, job loss, cancer, or some problem in life, how can you say that, that when I fall, I will arise? I'll tell you how. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. You see, this Christian faith we embrace is not just theology. It's not just words on a book written by some people a long time ago. It is the living Christ. Jesus did not stay dead. Jesus did not stay in the tomb. But come on, he rose from the grave. And it's like when he came forth, there was a sense of glory. It was a sense of light. See, the glory of God is an expression of the light of God. Even in heaven, the Bible says in the New Jerusalem, there's no need for the sun or the moon to give its light. Why? Because God himself is the light. He is the glory of our lives. Well, Micah saw this. I may sit in darkness, but the Lord is a light to me. He will bring me forth to the light. I'll behold his deliverance. So that's what we're speaking about today, kind of using what was the potential darkness about the light of God that can come to our lives. Now, I want to give you three things that likely they felt, but I can assure you I would feel, and you probably would as well, as they were going to Bethlehem but could not find a place to stay. The first is this. Mary and Joseph may have felt all alone in the darkness of night. Now, the word feeling is key because how many know our feelings are not always reality? See, just because I feel something doesn't mean that it's true. See, the truth is they were not alone. God was with them in their hour of darkness. When, they, when the innkeeper, for whatever reason, whether he, whatever reason, but he said, I can give you the barn, and he walked away, they walked in that place with the animals, and they were seemed like alone, but they were not alone. God is with them. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 28, verse 20. Now, these are some of the last words of Christ in the Gospel of Matthew after he's risen from the dead, given the proclamation to take his word around the world. Jesus said, I will always be with you even until the end of the age. So it's a promise, my friends. Now, listen, some of the words in the Bible 
I wonder, was this just to the original 12? Was it to the early disciples? But there's other words that seem to have a panorama to every Christian on the ages. This verse seems to capture that. Jesus Christ said, I will never leave you. You go through any valley, I will be with you. Do you know that God himself was with Daniel when Daniel was lowered down into the lion's den? You remember the story? Here, this guy, he would pray against the edict of man, which could well be coming to America soon. Do you know the only voice that stands against much of the evil in our world today and much of what America used to call sin, we now are told not only must we tolerate, but we must embrace the only voice that speaks against things like abortion and same-sex marriage and, and immoral behavior, uh, the only voice that's there consistently is, guess what? It's the voice of the conservative Christian, the Bible believer. And one day, you may experience the wrath of modern-day Caesar. Well, I want to tell you, they may lower you into the, into the lion's den like they did Daniel, but guess who God found, or Daniel found in that lion's den? He found the light of God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're going to be thrown into a fiery furnace because of their stand for Christ. Guess what happened? It was the light of God that pushed the darkness out of that place. See, we could keep looking and going. It was not just them, but, but how about Paul and Silas? They're preaching the gospel in the New Testament. It's a dark day. They're in prison because they helped deliver a young girl from a demon. They threw him in jail. They beat them. And at midnight, what does the Bible say they're doing? They're singing, giving praises to God, and in the midst of the darkness, they had some light in them, and then God showed up with bigger light, an earthquake came, and before you know it, lights are coming on everywhere, and people are turning to God. I want to tell you, there is a God that can give you light in the darkness of this world. You may be a Joseph en route to Egypt on a camel's back, but light is still in your heart. You may be a Joseph in, in, in Potiphar's prison for doing nothing wrong, but somehow the light of God helps you keep living in an excellent way. I want to tell you, friends, nobody can take that light away. Nobody can turn the switch off. If you're a believer, if you're a follower of Christ, you have a candle that is burning in you that will never burn out. You don't need the ever-ready bunny to keep it going. Come on. You've got something inside. It is the Spirit of God that is alive, and it is living in you. See, darkness must leave at the presence of God. And you know what? They probably felt a bit of aloneness. Darkness, let me read you a little email. I, I read this Wednesday night, but it was so powerful. Haiti, our missionaries there, political unrest. There's just been an election. People are riding in the streets. You and I know nothing like this. The email said, imagine crowds of thousands of people marching down the road. Thousands in front of your house, your neighborhood. Cannons of tear gas being shot outside of your home to break up the crowd. Money has stopped coming in. Even if they had money, stores are not open. They've been looted. There's a, there's a supply container from the states that are there that brought all the Christmas boxes and presents and toys and goodies, but they can't get it off the docks because of the political unrest. Money's, our school is closed. That was the source of much of their income. Our Christmas play is canceled. That was going to be a big outreach, a time of celebration. I may not be able to fly out for Christmas. Why me? Can you just, the darkness is like so thick you can taste it. And then she says, well, because God loves me so much. Now, I know her. She's not schizophrenic, okay? She's very sane. But what she's trying to say is, in the midst of all this, I still have a candle burning in my heart. In the midst of the darkness all around me, I still know that Christ is the light of the world. I still know that God is in control. I still know that He wouldn't lead me anywhere that He won't sustain me. 
See, I still know that my God is real and my God is alive. And I still know that God is, is for me and not against me. And he's entrusted me with the mission that virtually all of us, including myself in this room, would have packed up a long time ago. But something in their life, some way that they were put together in fashion. And God has entrusted them to be light bearers on that dark nation. Darkness can make us feel like God has forgotten us. Have you ever felt like that? God has forgotten you? Not too many years ago, well, I guess it was 12 years ago, Linnell was pregnant with Rebecca. Or not Rebecca, it was before Rebecca. She was probably six weeks, maybe two months along, and we went in the sonogram, and you know how it goes. They put the little jelly, and you know, and they're just kind of scoping it out, and the nurse went back and reset the machine, and she did it a second time, and she got this sullen look on her face, and we said, what's wrong? She said, I, I, I'm gonna have to let you speak to the doctor. Well, just a couple minutes, they take us into his office. He's behind his desk, and he tells us that the baby died. Now, look, we're preachers. We're, we're, we're doing our best. We're trying to serve the Lord. We do all the things we know to do, and we sit at home in two days and, 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 are, and are weeping. You just feel, you ever felt alone like that? We forget sometimes that being a Christian doesn't exempt us from problems. See, we live in a world that pairs the stain of sin. All, the, all this junk, it was not in the world before the fall of man in Eden. It is not after Revelations chapter 21 when God introduces a place called heaven. But right now there's evil, there's darkness, there's sin, and it just spills over our lives sometimes. But, but even in the midst of it, we didn't just stay in that bed. We didn't give up on the ministry. We didn't quit church. We were able to find some light somehow, and some friends came by and gave us another battery in the flashlight. Are you with me today? And, and before you know it, we're back in gear, and then before you know it, little Rebecca comes into the world. God has a way of bringing light. Listen to what he said to the people of God in the Old Testament, Isaiah 49. He writes to the Jewish people, You and I share the same heritage as the people of God because we are adopted into his family as sons and daughters. Listen, Isaiah 49, 14. Jerusalem may say, The Lord has deserted us. The Lord has forgotten us. Never. Can a mother forget her nursing child, ladies? Can she feel no love for the child she's born? I know she does because I watched that mother go down to the prison day after day, year after year, month after month, and that child is 30, 40, 50 years old, but mama is the only one still going down there. Even if that were possible, I would not forget you. I have written your name, God says, on the palm of my hands. I have written, but you don't understand, Pastor. I've been divorced for 10 years, and don't you know that? I'm telling you, your name is on the palm of his hands. I enjoy a pity party a little while. How about you? Be honest. But sooner or later, come on, you've got to let the light shine. You can keep turning the switch off. God may be trying to turn it on. You can keep turning it off if you want to, if you want to stay depressed. But I'm telling you, God has not forgotten you. You're not alone. Give him a big hand this morning. Let, let, me, let me give you a couple more. Uh, you might look in Matthew 6. Mary and Joseph may have felt they had needs that were too big to be met. You ever felt like that? There's just some things that you need that are just, it's just too big for God to do. He, know, he doesn't know my bank account. The truth is, no need is too big for God. Let me, let me say it again. No need is too big for God. Now, I'm not telling you you're going to get a super-duper bass boat and a double-triple-wheelie-dooley truck to pull it. I'm not telling you that. But what I'm telling you is there's no limitation that you're facing that if God is involved in the process and you're following God, there's nothing that God can't take care of. 
There's nothing you're ever going to face. Where Listen, Joseph and Mary went there. Now, I can't imagine how this unfolded, how in the world they could get there and not have a place to live. I don't know what angel forgot to make the, uh, the, the hotel reservation. But here they are, and they don't have, I, I don't think they had any money. Now, that's not in the Bible. Again, I'm going to speculate a little bit. You don't, you don't have to believe me, but I need to borrow a billfold here that has some money in it. Pastor Nick, come on. I'm not going to keep your money, you bunch of tightwads. I just want to use an illustration. I knew a woman had plenty of money. Come on here. Now, here's something I know. I don't care if it's Texarkana, 2010, or if it's Bethlehem, long time ago. You don't have a place to stay, and your wife is going, Honey, I need somewhere to lay down. She's probably whacking him at that time. I can tell you this. Let's just pretend they're $100 bills, and she said, Okay, I need a place to stay. Whose house is that, Joseph? That's a big house. I don't know who it is, honey. Let's go to the door. Knock, knock, knock. Here. Let me tell you a story. My wife and I came here. God made her pregnant, and uh, uh, we're here to register, and we don't have a place to stay. Can we stay in your house? Bam, shut the door. Knock on the door again. I gave you $100 if we can stay there. That's not enough. I gave you $200. I gave you $300. I give you $400. Honey! I give you $500. I'm telling you, money answers all things according to Solomon. If Joseph had enough money in his pocket, he could have bought him away in that house. Now, that's just my little speculation there, but here's, here's the point. I, for whatever reason, the door was closed, but there's no door that will stay closed if God wants you inside the house. But there's a promise in Matthew 6.33, friends, that you can embrace. Jesus said in the context of what am I going to do about taking care of tomorrow's needs, Jesus said, if you'll seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, which simply means put God's kingdom above everything else in your life. You've got to put you second and God first. This does not work if you're, a, you know, if I can say a Sunday Christian or if you're just kind of playing God or if you just want God to do something when you can't do it and put Him back on the shelf. But if you're sold out to Christ, if you're living what I think is the genuine Christian life, and you're putting God first in your life, He gives you a promise, friend, that I'm going to take care of you. I'll give you food to eat. I'll give you shelter. I'll give you clothes to put on your back. Now, He didn't promise you an HDTV. I'm thrilled if you get one for Christmas. Maybe my friend will give me one too. I won't know what to do with it, but, but I don't know what... I, God, he might not have promised you an HDTV. He might not have promised you even that you're going to get a new car. You may be walking or riding with somebody, but if He wants you to move... Uh, See, sometimes God takes things from our life to help us be content, to wean us from the world. Sometimes we miss a meal. Paul the apostle said he went to bed hungry sometimes. That doesn't negate the Scripture. He didn't die hungry. See, if you don't have anything to put in your mouth that day, go to bed that night and say, Lord, I want to thank you that tomorrow you're going to give me this day my daily bread. You've got to have some faith when, you, when the door doesn't seem to be open and you don't know what you're going to do. My son's going to school at Fayetteville for a master's degree. And I said, well, in January. I said, well, have you got a place to live? No. What are you going to do? Not sure. But how many know God knows and God is sure? So if you keep praying and you're walking in the will of God, you can have confidence that the light of God will drive away the darkness and there's going to be a place for you to put your head at night. Now, it may be in a barn, but if God wants to make a statement with my life through the barn, I say bring it on and I'm going to go to sleep in that barn. 
Lord willing, next January, I'm going to start a series about God's, something about God's ticket for prosperity or God's main for prospering in uncertain times about how God blesses us. But you and I need to live with the faith that Abraham had. See, what I'm talking about right now is your room may be dark and you don't have any place to stay, but God doesn't want you to stop because God has resources on the other side. See, you may be out of money, but God's not. And your credit card may not work, but your faith will work. That's what's so important, important for you to believe the Word of God until the light comes back on. I mean, remember the story, and let me just allude to it. Abraham has been told by God to sacrifice his son. Now, clearly God didn't want him to take the child's life. It was a test of faith. We know that's true. But in the midst of it, they're walking up this mountain, old man, teenage boy. Daddy, you've got fire and you've got wood, but where's the sacrifice? What did Abraham say? Say it again. Say it one more time. God will provide. He's got a knife in his hand ready to kill his child, but yet he has faith. He's now become the father of faith. And I'm telling you, my friend, faith will help you move forwards into the darkest night and help you find what God has for you. Don't ever lose your faith. Don't go, listen, you can go home in the midst of darkness and you can drink, you can get high, you can sleep around, you can do whatever to escape, you can watch old movies, but you're going to wake up and you're going to be the same person with the same dilemma until you get some faith going in your life, believing God, trusting God, and going where He says. Come on, give Him a big hand this morning. Let me, let me wrap this up. Let me give you one more. And, and again, I, I'm speculating a bit, but I think it, it's pretty fair this morning. If it, if it wasn't in their heart, certainly would be in ours. When you go to this inn, they may have felt on their journey like they were being controlled by people and ignored by God. Now, mind you, you have two of the lowest class citizens in the world. How many know God looks at, at you different than the world looks at you? You may go into a building and people all around you at the party are looking to see who made your watch. Now, who cares who made your watch? It's supposed to tell time, not impress people. I mean, you may go somewhere and when they take your coat, the first thing they want to look at is the label on the coat. You know, now listen, you may want to buy a pair of blue jeans that's got somebody's name on it for $100, but if you can get the same blue jean for $20, I'll write the name on it for you if you want to. We'll, no, 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 really, not really. We'll use the copy machine at the church, or, or we'll get somebody that can sew, and we can put the label on if you need the label. But sometimes we get so caught up in the systems and the comparisons of the world. Uh, some of you have turned me off. Turn me back on right now. Come on. We care too much about people, but, but then there's a group of people that are controlling our lives. I, I have felt helpless. Yesterday I went to a, a, a um, seminar on the Constitution. Is Rick Green here, by the way? I invite him to come. He was, he was the guy that taught it. Well, anyway, I'm there, and the more he's talking about how America is supposed to function, our government, the madder I'm getting. And I just wanted to stand up in my chair and say, what can I do? And I probably wanted to add a little expletive in the middle of it, too. I mean, I just, I was angry. What can I do? My, right now, my Congress is, 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 they just had a trillion-some-dollar budget they wanted to force on us with all kinds of junk in it that has nothing to do with the needs of America. I mean, here we're removing, don't ask, do tell, in the military. We're going to just put amnesty, millions of people buying votes. What else are they doing? There, there's a treaty to be ratified, and they hadn't done anything in the last six months, but now they want to do it all before they get out of office. And I'm just getting angry and mad. And sometimes you could have called your congressman and emailed, and, you, and it would not have made any difference. 
And do you feel sometimes just like people are controlling me and I'm just kind of a little guy? Well, let me tell you, maybe they felt that way when they get an edict from the Roman governor that says you've got to go 90 miles away when you're pregnant and you've got to sign your name in a book. Now, here's what I want to tell you in this last point. The truth is, followers of Christ have a divine hand guiding their life. You're not living by an accident or luck. You may be going through a process and you're making choices and all, but as you submit yourself to God every day, there's a promise in Psalm 37, 23. It says, the Lord directs the steps of the righteous or the godly. How many people are in this room today have been made righteous because of the blood of Christ on the cross? Let me see your hand. I want to tell you, my friend, the Lord is directing your steps. If you are endeavoring to walk, now I don't mean if you're just this guy who is in and out with God and you call 911 when you're in trouble. I mean if you're trying to walk with God and live for God, you can have a confidence and an assurance that the Holy Spirit is going to guide you to the college to go to. He's going to guide you to the house you're supposed to live in. He's going to guide you to the city you're supposed to live in. He's going to put you in the neighborhood you're supposed to live in. He's going to put you in the apartment complex that you're supposed to be in. There's a divine hand guiding our life. If you will yield yourself to God, if you will submit your life to God and say, let your kingdom come in me, God's hand will guide you. The Bible says he delights in every detail of their lives. Now you cannot, and I cannot live under this sense. Listen, what was happening when this high and mighty Roman emperor made this edict, this man, what was happening is God says, I want my child to be born over there in Bethlehem, so I want you to move him over there. Just sign that piece of paper right now. Okay. And he didn't even know he was signing it for God. But God is orchestrating the affairs of his life. Listen, it happens throughout the pages of the Bible. The pagan king Nebuchadnezzar did it. Cyrus did it. Uh, uh, Caesar Augustus did it. How about Pilate? You remember what Jesus said to Pilate? Now think about this. Here's this man that thinks he's all-powerful. He's, he's in the judiciary of their day, Pilate. John 19, verse 10, and Jesus won't talk to Pilate. This is just before the crucifixion. And Pilate demanded, don't you realize that I have the power to release you or crucify you? And Jesus looked at him and said, you have no power over me at all unless it were given to you from above. And then all of a sudden, this man that was filled with arrogance and power and pride began to quiver a little bit and realize he was in trouble but he sold his political soul. Come on. This same dynamic works in your life. If you are following God and walking... See, here's the problem. We look in the mirror and we don't like who we see. We feel like God made a mistake. Can, 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 can we get just real just a second? We feel like God made a mistake. You don't like the fact that you are whatever. White, black, green. You don't like the fact that you are a woman because if I was a man, I would... or, or, or vice versa. You know, these poor transgendered people that want to be a sex other than what God created them to be, they're never going to be happy. It's like we can't accept who God has made us to be. God did not make a mistake when you came into this earth. See, other people around you might have made a mistake, but God didn't make a mistake when he inserted you where he did. He could have put you anywhere on the planet at any point in what's called time. But he inserted me on August 20, or April 24, 1957 in a hospital, at the Methodist Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee. He's put my life there and he started me there. You see, my life is lived on purpose. It's not lived by accident. And the Caesars of this world don't control my life. 
I may not like what they're doing in our government or other people, but I know where it's all headed. I know it's headed one day towards a one-world government and an antichrist and a boogeyman, but I'm going to just kind of go over that. Whether I go through it, around it, or above it, I'm going to get on the other side of that one day, and I'm living forever in a place called heaven. Come on. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be raised from the dead when that trumpet sounds. The dead in Christ are going to rise, and if I've gone before you, listen, I'm going up in the air. If I'm still on this earth, listen, I'm I'm going to take a plane ride without an airplane. That's where I'm going, and it's on purpose. So I want to tell you, friends, There's, and I can explain it to you, how you can have free will and people can make choices, but God can be sovereign and predestined life. I can't explain that. I'm just thrilled that it's happening, and I'm just doing my best to do what I need to do to stay in the plan of God. Give him a big hand. I'm done today. I want to close with arguably the most important scripture of the morning. It's John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus now, he's, he's, he's in the, the, part of his ministry. He's in his, you know, not many days left on the earth. And he's talking to the people. And Jesus said this amazing word. I am the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. And the person who follows me will never live in darkness, but will have the light that gives life. Can we just read that together? I am the light of the world. The person who follows me will never live in darkness, but will have the light that gives life. Now, now, what's the condition? To be a follower of Christ. It doesn't mean you go to church to be a follower of Christ. Then you have a promise, friend, and you've got a candle that will never be extinguished. You have a flashlight that will never go out. You have a bright, shiny... Now, you may not always feel it or see it, but it's there because Jesus said, listen, there's light that's there. Not everybody has this, and we're going to close our... Now, I'm going to have a little time of prayer and take off. Merry Christmas. But these last next five minutes could maybe be arguably the most important five minutes of the morning. Not everybody has this light. Not everybody is a follower of Christ. You ever heard of a guy named Bernie Madoff? Yeah, most of America has. He did this Ponzi scheme, which basically is this. He gets one guy to give him some money, promises he's going to make him some money, so he takes a good chunk of that and buys him something. Bernie buys him something for himself. But then he also gets guy number two to come along, and guy number two, he makes the same promise. He takes guy number two's money, gives some of it to guy number one, he spends some more on himself. Before you know it, he's $50 billion with a B dollars. All of a sudden, Bernie gets arrested. He's in jail. But guess what happened to his son this week? He committed suicide. Now, lawsuits flying. He's in the middle of it. He's enjoyed this good life. It was all but an illusion. But there was so much darkness in his son's life. I wish I could have gone to him and I said, you know what? Money's never going to make you happy. You can have peace at night whether you're sleeping in some hay or whether you're sleeping on the finest mattress in the finest hotel in the world. You can have peace because peace doesn't come from your pillow. Come on, peace comes from your maker. I wish I could tell him that there's enough light in the world to drive the darkness out. I wish I could have told him there's enough light from Christ that can help you make it through every lawsuit and help you start your life all over if you have to. There's light. But he didn't have it, and he died. People are dying in despair all around us. Sadly, people are living in despair all around us. Christmas is a terrible time for some of us. It's just a lot of pain associated with it. I've tried to give you a little hope today because hope comes through Christ. It really does, and it's real.
And no matter where you are, who you are, what's going on in your world, listen, I've watched it. I, I, I've watched a, a family. How many know that when there's a divorce, it's not just between husband and wife, it's kids, it's everybody else? I've watched people who didn't want the divorce get closer to God and have more peace and more joy than they had when everything was seemed to be going well because they got a little bit closer to God. And I watched one of the, one of the spouses just kind of, you know, just going haywire because they're getting farther away from the light and darkness just confuses things. But I watch the Christian that goes through it, though they don't like it. Now, I'm not saying it's fun. I'm just saying when you're in it, light makes it a whole lot more easier to navigate through the dark house. That light comes from God. I've watched Christians go through bankruptcy. I've watched Christians lose their jobs. I've watched them. I've prayed with them before and after the oncologist appointment. I've gone to cemeteries, and I've seen the light of God in people's lives that help them walk with Christ every step of the way. So I just want to tell you this day, Jesus said, when you follow me, you'll have that light. Don't fight with God. Keep turning the switch off. Let him turn it on in your life this Christmas season. Let's pray. I wonder now what the Holy Spirit may have said to you this morning. What is he saying to you right now? Do you have some of this alone feeling? Do you struggle with not having enough resources? Do you feel like other people are controlling your life? Maybe some, some small measure, something I said would be a door where the light of God can come to you. I just prophesy that that light today is driving away darkness from all of our lives. That whatever we struggle with in the depths of our soul, will be driven away by the marvelous light of God. Holy Spirit, come to each one here, young and old, every one of us. Let your light come. Let your presence be in our homes Christmas season, Mondays and Tuesdays and Sundays. We welcome you. My time's up. Look at me just a second. We want to close with prayer, and here's how we're going to do it. In just a second, I'm going to, we're going to sing a chorus through, sing it together one time, and then you'll be free to go. And when you stand, just come down. We'll pray for anything because here's what I know. I know everybody needs prayer. Last night, my, the service, I had something bother me, and I reached over to my wife, and she, she took me by the hand. She prayed for me. Everybody needs prayer. You, you, you know, you don't just have to be a member of our church to come for prayer. If there's really been something that the Holy Spirit was speaking to you about today, and, and it's been a struggle to you, well, just because I told you what truth is today, that doesn't mean it's going to be automatic and easy. You may need somebody to help you keep your hand on that light switch in the own position. That's what prayer, that's what prayer can do for you. So we'll pray for you for anything you have need of this morning. But, but I first want to ask a very special group of people. And look at me just eyeball to eyeball just a second before we go. Santa Claus can bring HDTVs and he can bring stereos and he can bring, you know, stockings and all those things. But there's a gift that Santa Claus can never give you, and that's the gift of eternal life. The gift of eternal life can't be bought at Dillard's. It can't be bought in Dallas or Shreveport at the boardwalk. The gift of eternal life only can come from the one who started out in a manger and ended up on a cross. And the reason he hung on that cross was so he could give his life for the sins of humanity. So he could take your place on judgment day. And so he could give you an opportunity to have light in a world that is sometimes joyful and sometimes not, sometimes bright and sometimes dim. He came to give you, friend, life and light. 
But the thing that I know is you have to make a step towards Christ. The reason I know it is because I used to go to church as a kid, but it was just in my head, never in my heart. I know you have to receive Christ as your Savior. I know there's a defining moment when you have to not only ask for His forgiveness, but you in your heart of hearts have to turn your life to follow Him. And maybe today is your day to make a step to Christ. Maybe today you desperately need the gift of eternal life. There's no better time than the Sunday before Christmas to say, Jesus, I want to follow you and live for you. Would you bow your heads just a minute? And I want all the church just to pray. Because there's probably people here this morning that don't know where you'll spend eternity. People that are in agreement with what I'm saying this morning. People that want to get right with God. Whether it's the first time you've ever prayed to receive Christ or you've gotten away and today is your day, we want to pray for you this morning. If you're here today and say, Pastor, I want to get right with God today. I want to know Christ is my Savior. I'm ready to turn and follow Him. Would you lift your hand real quickly? Real quickly. I'm, I'm beyond time today. This morning, someone here this morning, we'd be happy to pray for you. All right. Praise the Lord. Here's how we're going to close. And I appreciate you giving me a little extra time this morning. This was a really good day, wasn't it? I'm really glad you came, and, and I hope you have a wonderful Merry Christmas, and I look forward to seeing you after, the, after Christmas and the new year. But won't you go ahead and just stand right now? We're going to begin to worship the Lord. Our prayer team is going to come around the altar. And if you need prayer for anything, maybe you didn't raise your hand just a second ago, but you want to make a step to Christ, and you want somebody to pray for you, you just come this morning as we begin to worship the Lord. Come on, guys, let's sing. You come and let somebody pray with you, and we're going to close today. Be gone.